Hello, Next Geners. Welcome to our Friday form preview show. Well, you wanted the big guns. We had Jace Richo last week and they said we couldn't get any bigger. Well, we've gone straight to the man in the know. Everyone wants to hear from this man, David Gately, when it comes to finding out how he does the form. And we've got him on a dual Group 1 weekend. Gator, big weekend, Group 1 in Melbourne and Sydney. Do you spread your time across both? How, how do you get stuck into the form for a weekend like this? Yeah, good day, team. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's sort of it starts sort of Wednesday pretty early for me. So with the best bets, it's quite a strict deadline of around one o'clock on a Wednesday, which certainly has its pros and cons. Um, but you know, often your first impression can be the best one and the right one. So I, I think it's I actually prefer it that way rather than overthinking it, which I'm guilty of a lot uh, in other avenues of life. But um, so that gets done like by one o'clock, it has to, um, and then start straight away on the Sydney form. So um, I've got a bit more breathing space with the Sydney stuff um, and I can sort of bounce off a few markets, which again has its pros and cons. And then I'm, I'm done by Wednesday night, usually pretty late, um, but it's all done Wednesday night. And then, um, yeah, see how the cards fall after that. Interesting that you talk about markets because they can be wildly wrong or they can be on the mark on a Wednesday, how much does that play into it? And and as an example, talk us through incentivize because you picked him last week. Yeah, it is. So I think that the pros are that you're not um, you're not clouded by the market. You're not governed by it. You sort of just go off who you think will win. And although you're not necessarily sitting there pricing uh, a race because you don't really have time by one o'clock, but you've got a ratings order, which is effectively the same thing. You know, you're, you're picking them in an order you think they'll finish or an order of preference. Uh, so with Incentivize, my mindset was that he might just be something pretty special. Um, he might just be one out of the box. So um, look, if he's not, I think it's a race he's beatable in. I certainly referenced that, but uh, I sort of had to come back to him for that reason. Um, now, I was surprised pleasantly. So this is done before the market, as you sort of touched on there. Uh, they went up, I think, double figures, some places into seven uh, with final field and then was well backed. Um, so, you know, there's that there's that pro, if you like. The cons are clearly as you get closer to game day, there could be torrential downpour, <laughs> other factors, track bias. Um, but you just play with the cards you dealt and um, pick who you think will win. It's a, I think it's a really good place to start. And um, sorry, Richo told us last week that um, you're one that, um, you, you're sort of committed to your tips on a Wednesday. You can't really change them. So how much work goes into um, predicting the weather and what the track mm. might, how the track might play? Yeah, well, as you know, the Bureau get it right all the time. So we're pretty in really good hands there. Um, I don't know, they're worse than us. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it's just your best guess, isn't it? Your educated guess. As far as track patterns go, you've got a precedent a lot of the time. That doesn't always work out. Um but you've generally got a precedent and certainly a track like Flemington are great with their stats, where winners come from. I think other tracks are getting there as well. Uh, I think Mooney Valley is a bit easier to read than a lot of tracks. Corfu can be tricky as can Randwick and Rose Hill, but, um, but there's, you've got something to work on, some historical data. Um, and then you get an idea how the race will be run. It gives you a, a good handle, I think, on how things might, uh, might play out. But certainly, uh, I think integrity is number one in this game. You know, if you don't have it, I don't think you, you've got much clout, credence. So if I tip on a Wednesday, I can't be going and changing them and giving, you know, it's a different set. It's just, even if, if things do change and that can happen, you just have to cop it on the chin. doesn't mean you have to back the horse. You know, you might uh, back it uh, a lot less than what you would have outlaid or, or played some Quinellas, but you can't go changing your selections in my humble um, because it just becomes an integrity issue and people think, oh, who's getting the A set? Who's getting the B yeah. set? Um, can't happen. Never happen. Aiden? Well, many of us um, have had the pleasure of feeling what we've got to know, David Gately, from a TV and journalistic aspect. Tell us about David Gately, the punter. Mm. Yeah, well, look, I, I don't think I'm the most disciplined punter I, I think we all grew up in our 20s you know in the off season from footy or whatever sport we were playing um and the minute the footy finish you're into the races every saturday and uh look we were having a lot of fun i mean the, i think people sometimes forget it's a sport and it's entertainment and it should be fun um i fully understand uh those that are that are 
very strict with their betting. Um, and it does take a lot of discipline uh, to be staking correctly and, and all that, but it does take a bit of fun out of it as well. So I think finding the balance between uh, the fun aspect, the enjoyment aspect, which we wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't fun, let's be honest, and being sensible about it and, and betting properly and not uh, putting the pumpkin on the head and, and going all out, um, which used to happen after many beers uh, post footy. But um, yeah, I think it's a bit of a different landscape now because I'm working every Saturday. Uh, the punting uh, happens mostly before the races um, because there's just not a lot of room on Sky on race day to, uh, to be betting properly. So to put my bets on early these days, but certainly back in those days, we were betting on most races, but just staking to our confidence level. Simple as that. Yeah, it's a fascinating, um, fascinating journey you're on. How are you finding juggling the multiple hats? We, you know, we've 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 known David Gatley from the radio. Um, we got to love David Gatley from a, a racing.com get on. We seem to um, we got to know you as mm. such. Um, and now you pushed into a very a rapid rate. It's like rapid racing, basically, yeah. being a presenter Saturday on Sky Channel. That quick turnover, you've got your 30-second allocation to get as much intel to the uh, mum and dad punter at home. And then moving into a spring carnival, the Channel 10-style hat goes on and we're expected for, you know, that professional rundown. How do you find juggling the three hats? Yeah, look, I think quite easily, given when I first started in racing, I was probably, you know, it was at least 80 hours a week with everything I was doing. Um, so the time constraints are nowhere near as, as strict as they were, once were. So I think with that background and that sort of uh, pre-season, if you like, for want of a better term, um, there's a really good grounding there to, to juggle the time. But I think I've become a lot more efficient at it. Um, and, you know, even though it looks like I'm, I'm sort of everywhere, I'm nowhere near that sort of time, uh, that those time requirements anymore. Um, with what I need to prepare and then on race. So obviously Saturdays are a super long day um, and there's something to do every single day. So you don't really get days off, but it's not like it used to be where every day is sort of all encompassing. And, and that's where it became um, challenging. Um, but this day and age with a lot more information at our fingertips as well, um, I think we've become, you know, reasonably efficient at it and, and can produce the enough quality content in, in the time frame that's manageable. You've also got your own website, uh, Oz Racing Form, where uh, people can buy your tips. So why would they buy your tips instead of picking up best bets or listening to you on the radio or following you on a on a Sky Channel? Yeah, it's it's a it's a common question and it's a fair one because the tips will be the same as as we sort of referenced. But um, I think the advantage with the the website is I can just go into a lot more detail. Um, so obviously Sky is pretty short, sharp as Hayden referenced. Um, RSN pretty similarly they've got their restrictions with how much information we can get out there with the website I've, I've got no limits so I can comment on uh, maybe five, you know five or six runners every single race and give a detailed comment on them and I think that's the best way for the next generation to, to learn about our great game like giving one word tips I don't think people learn anything um, and I'm not saying I have all the answers but it's like that long division in, in maths at school. You remember the long division? Your teacher would give you marks. Even if you got the answer wrong, the teacher would give you a, a score because they saw how you could set your work out. I think there's a bit of that about this game. And if I can explain how I came to a conclusion, um, maybe the next generation can pick up on that and, and hopefully learn something because that's how I learned from listening to people give their explanation on how they came to a conclusion. But then having the ability to go back and see what went right and what went wrong um, and, and keep evolving with it. Don't ever think you know it all is probably another key aspect. So the fields come out on Wednesday for the Rupert Clark. How do you start um, your form? Yeah, so start with the speed of the race. So I'll, I'll get the um, final field through and then later the barriers. So the off, off noms um, and then for the acceptances before the barrier, we've got something to work on. I can get the speed of the race uh, pretty quickly, certainly in a group one, you know, mostly with what's going to happen. Um, a bit harder in a 58 at, at Geelong, but um, sometimes, but uh, so that, that's the starting point, I think the speed, and then you start at the top, always start with the, the, the class. Um, but I go through each runner and basically give the horse um, uh, for want of a better term, like a, a, a score uh, where I think uh, they can uh, finish. So if they're a winning hope, they're eight, nine or 10, perhaps. Um, if they're an each way hope, there might be six or seven. And if, if, they're, if they're a long shot and they're relying on other avenues to run well, like un horses to underperform, track bias, 
They still have to be factored in those things, but they're less likely to win. So they're entitled to be bigger odds. All right, that's a good starting point. And then how do you break it down from there? Are you looking for um, where they're going to settle in the run? Who's going to get out to particular lanes? Are you breaking it down that much? Or, or do you simply focus on um, the perhaps the best horse in the race for those race conditions? Yeah, gravitate to the best horse, the best athlete um, is really a great place to start, I think. Uh, the problem is when you get to races where they're very even, and a handicap helps that because it, it, it effectively brings them all into line. That's the theory behind it. Um, then it comes down to perhaps to who's going to get the better run because if there's a dominant uh, athlete, it doesn't really matter. Like you saw at the Olympics with Tokyo, some of those tactics from those 1500 meter runners and 5,000 meter runners were awful, but they were just too good. So it didn't yep. matter. Um, when it became where there wasn't a lot between them and they got their tactics wrong, disastrous. You know, they didn't, they underperformed and couldn't um, finish as high as they wanted to finish. So it's the same scenario, I think, um, for, for poor equine athletes. Um, if, if they're pretty even uh, talent-wise, uh, I think that's when the speed map and, and uh, best lanes and all those things, who's peaking, I think that sort of stuff becomes more relevant. Um, but if something like Winx was in it, well, wouldn't matter where she drew, would it? So um, I think that's, that's important to analyse each race individually as well like uh, but start at the top uh, where the yep. best athletes are all right and there's not much in the market between probabil behemoth and bo rossa so how do you go dissecting those three well the way i looked at it was that uh, i think uh, the more i watched that replay i think bo rossa probably should have won the race um behemoth sort of went from two lengths behind him to a length in front of him um then bo rossa didn't get out in time when he did he attacked the line you know how much conserved energy was there is a factor but you know, I know it's debatable, but in my humble, I think Bo Rossell wins the race and he would have been handicapped more high, higher had he won it. Uh, so with that three and a half kilo relative weights advantage, um, which shouldn't be there in my view, um, I had to gravitate to him to beat Behemoth. Look, Behemoth's a very good uh, athlete. He carries weight really well. We saw that last year um, to win it with 60, but it's all relative. He can win it with 61 year. But then 59 is a different scenario when you got the horse that should have beaten you behind you with a weight advantage. So you see how it's sort of, you can't just have one cut and hard and fast rule. Okay. He's a great weight carrier. So he wins again. It, mm. it's, it's not, I don't think it's, 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 I don't think it's telling the whole story. I think it's, it's being a bit lazy if you just use that. And then probability. Yeah. She's in a similar boat in that she's because of what she's achieved. Uh, she's paying for it at a handicap. Like if, if it was set weight to weight for age, I think they'd be one, two in the market. You know, they're up there anyway, because of their class, but it just makes it mathematically more difficult for them. You know, uh, you know weights, are, you know, some people don't believe in weights and that's fine. I'm not here to tell anyone how to do or tell anyone what's right and wrong, but science is real. You know, it's not a flat earth. Um, I think weights are real um, and they have an impact on performance. You know, if I go for a, a, a 90K bike ride at my max effort, and I do it a week later weighing two kilos more, I'll go slower. It's just a reality of, of everything. So it does have an impact to what degree and each athlete and how it affects them is all different. Um, but it's a factor that has to be um, taken in on board, I think. Aiden? Oh, well, um, my stance on weights isn't, um, you know, I don't keep it hidden. It's not something that I use. Um, and I think that, you know, we all come through very similar learnings. Like I, I learned um, about horses and about racing from um, my father, who was nothing more than a Herald Sun pub punter. Yeah. Um, and he took me through the weights measures um, and to the best of his knowledge and to the best of his understanding. And I just felt as I got older and then I um, stepped into Vince Accardi's modules and thinkings and um, started using the IVR form and data that I found that, I had a lot more advantage with horse profiling and horse knowledge um, and understanding that one horse isn't the same horse at start one as he is in start three, um, that he adapts, he develops training methods and methodologies have a lot to do with the influence on horses at stages of campaigns, like it's common knowledge. A Mick Price camp, we go in very confident that a horse will be wound up first up, um, fly early in a campaign. We, then we grab a uh, Chris Wallace-style runner. We know that we're going to get better and better the deeper into the campaign we go. We can pick grand finals, et cetera. Um, so I found that anything that come, 
that anything that I thought was a generic opinion, um, you know, weight handicapping, et cetera, where the generic um, punter was looking for an advantage that he could see off a basic form guide, I found that if I could switch it the opposite way, I could find an advantage for myself. So it's not something I dismiss, but I do look at horses' capabilities on what they have done with that weight and um, always look at it as if that horse can always do that. If his profile says yes, the weight won't come into play for me. So a horse like Behemoth, I could mark him last year, three and a half lengths above IVR benchmark, winning a race. Just because it's this race, I don't buy into historics at all. So if he won this race last year, um, it's a completely different field. It's the first time this field will ever line up at 1,400 metres and they'll never line up again. So um, I just look at him as with your weight, you can do this. Is this going to be good enough? And is the race shape going to be effective or um, disadvantaged for you? So they're the things that I look at when it comes to weights. It's a quick yes, no, can you or can't you? And then leave it at that predominantly. Yeah, yeah, I think that the profiling is king, to be honest. I think um, if you if you had to give, um, if I had to pick one thing, uh, I think that getting as much information on each individual athlete uh, that you can garner and gain is probably king, um, it, you know, in my very humble. Um, so I think that's a really valid point, um, you know, and finding, you know, because I don't think many horses will ever win if they're not good enough to win. Yeah, you know, they'll need a lot of things going their way, <laughs> uh, like a Stephen Bradbury sort of setup. Um, you know, he was the fourth best athlete in that race, but he won it in that that's um, because of the way the cards fell literally. Um, so I take that point on board, and I think it's a really valid one. Yep. Yeah. So um, the analytics is sort of, you know, going back ten to fifteen years ago. I think we subconsciously profiled horses, and we tried to get the best understanding of the athlete that we could. Um, mm -hmm. Now the tools that we've got, us with the IVR platform, I know several of you guys use the punting form style platforms, there's ratings to win out there. All of us, um, Dan O'Sullivan's got his service, um, TRB. They're giving us the ability just to numerically remember everything from a profiling point of view and then find the key traits that we like when we're doing um, our work. Yeah, no, spot on. I couldn't agree more. And um, yeah, just back on uh behemoth he will be interesting won't he because in, obviously he won that last year with 60 but he didn't have the perfect run so how much do you factor that in this year with it with a different sort of field so um yeah it's a fascinating race and uh you know i love listening to the way the way different people do form because um you know this lizzie jelfs proves it there's no one way you know yeah. i barely look at a horse anymore but she doesn't look at form and she finds a stack of winners so it just shows you there's a number of ways to, to skin a cat in this game well, the shorts is really interesting because, as Hayden said, grand final-wise, their grand final is in the Everest. So um, how much incentive is there for horses to win? Do you take that into account when you're looking at a race like the shorts? How did you go about breaking that race down? Yeah, I think this is a, a real um, – it's a, it's a perfect race to follow on from what we're talking about because the profile for a lot of these is really similar to mm. last time in. Nature Strip was beaten in it second up last time in by Eduardo, who was first up last time in. Um, you know, he fought back and beat him there in really fast time. That's what they do. Uh, you got Rothfire first up off such a long break. We know how good he is on the clock. Um, but there's that query, isn't there? We know Mars Crusaders knocking on the door to put his hand up, but is 1100 meters going to be 50 meters too short? Is, is he an Everest horse? So, um, you know, and can he be within striking distance? So, uh, a fascinating race, but I think this is one where I have, um, probably gone away a little bit from the profile. I've, I've been a huge nature strip fan for a long time. I think he's the best sprinter in, in, on the planet. Um, but you know, I just want to see uh, what Rothfire can do. Uh, I've been convinced um, of him and Mars Crusader for a while as well. Uh, he just might get the perfect trail here at Rothfire. And, um, you know, I think he's going to give it a, a hell of a shake, but it, it's one of the best races I've seen for a long time. So those two trials, do you read a, a bit into the, the trials, as you said, Rothfire off the scene for 12 months. Yeah. Look, he trialed as well as what really fast horses do generally is trial. Well, you know, because they don't, they're, they're really fast. So um, it's, I don't think he and nature strip are ever going to uh, trial poorly. If they did, I'd be worried. Um, but look, he looks raring to go to me, as I say, plenty of merit on the clock. He, he gets set weights um, and penalties there. So uh, look, he, he's not, uh, 
He's not a moral. I wouldn't talk you out of uh, probably five in that race. You can make a really strong winning case for, uh, but I'll be surprised if he's uh, sound and, and gets through the race, which we expect. Um, I'm surprised he won't. Be, I'd be surprised if he's not right in the finish anyway. Yeah. And very elegant, a sh- short price favorite in the George main, but I, I felt that was a pretty tricky race to break down. Do you, do you just stick with class there or how did you go about dissecting that one? Yeah. Well, again, she's a good, uh, follow up for what we've been talking about because if you're picking the best horse, there's no there's no conversation, is there? But she's been vulnerable early in campaigns. Generally, she's vulnerable in slowly run races. Um, you know, she gets a fast run race, and gee, she wins a lot of them. You know, even when she was given no hope first up two preps, but she still won. Um, she's got a great mix of class and courage. You know, if she gets in a dogfight, uh, she's going to be there. So that's why you get the strike rate that she's got. Um, she'll get a bit of jar out of the track. But I think the key to her is just finding a tempo. And there looks to be that, doesn't there, with Shout the Bar and, and Redini. They look like they'll run along at probably group two average, which will be enough for her, I think, to get over the top of them. Um, so I think she's clearly the one to beat based on that uh, her own uh, history. Riadini, synthetic hoof filler first time. Any gear, any gear that you just uh, see and just put a line through? Oh, never a line through, but um, it certainly it comes into to play as, as a factor. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not uh, not quite in the duff camp where it's a pen, pen job, uh, but, um, you know, I've seen many come out and, and perform well. And what I tend to do is trust the stable that they've got them there fitting well. Um, you just have to. Otherwise, you're just guessing. You know, you're yeah. guessing on things that are out of your control. Um, so, you know, and we saw it with Arcadia Queen last year. She still was able to perform at a really high level um with some feed issues so trust the stable if they're there uh to run well uh sometimes they'll come out and say you know we're a run short and take that on board as well but if they're fitting well to run well in a group race i have to back the stable in i think richo said last week he was of the opinion that you're a better tipster in sydney than melbourne do you feel that or what what's your take on your tipping one state versus the other yeah, look, it's probably something that I should be better at, uh, you know, um, as in uh, uh, providing, uh, you know, not providing, but um, forensically looking at, at strike rates and so on. Um, you know, probably a bit, uh, a bit lazy on that front. But um, so, I, look, I couldn't tell you exactly, but um, you know, I'd like to think that uh, <laughs> we're reasonably effective in both. But um, you know, certainly doing our best every time. There's no stone unturned, so. Uh, if we get beaten, it's not through lack of preparation, which is, I think, really important. Hey, yeah, from, a, yeah. from a work perspective, um, listening to Gator on Saturdays in particular, when he goes, you know, he's got to take on that big card. From a work perspective, I'm assuming, Gator, you'd have this very similar attitude to me, as it's um, any place, anywhere, anytime, and you're prepared to do the work in order to make it successful. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, whether you're, you're going into a, a pre-season uh, football or gridiron or ice hockey or, or whatever you do. I think the real key is, um, is preparation um, because then the things that are uh, basically the rest of the, what happens is, is out of your control. If you can control everything that you possibly can to the best of your ability. So the analogy I like to use is, is the pitcher uh, in, in baseball. So he can control his fitness up to round one. He can control his, uh, stance, his follow through, but once that ball leaves his hand, out of his control. The batter's got his own series of uh, things he's going through, um, as do the fielders, uh, umpires. Um, but the things that are in your control, you can control them. And and that thing for racing, I think, is preparation and and knowledge of the athlete. Um, so I think that's 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 really important as well. Uh, and if if you get beaten by thing by external things, that's fine. Um, but learn from them. When it comes to, um, you know, for the people that are watching, we've got the younger demographic mostly, um, and many people when they're sitting in their lounge rooms watching the races on a Saturday having a bet, they do aspire to just be a little bit better at it. Mm. Um, You know, everyone enjoys it, but everybody would like the opportunity to win more than they lose in terms of days of the year, et cetera. Um, From your humble opinion, and from your knowledge base, from when they sit down, you know, when the fields are first released, whether it be they get the opportunity, most sit down Friday night. Mm. Um, what would be a process that you would advise them to go through 
in order to try and find that extra winner? Yeah, look, I think that the real key is obviously take only bet what you can afford to lose is a really, a really big one. Um, you know, it's something I'm really passionate about not having uh, people in any sort of trouble. It has to be fun. It has to be enjoyable um, because that's what it is. It's a sport. Um, so I think that's really the most important thing. Uh, secondly, um, I think just finding as much uh, information as you can. So, you know, I think we live in a really, um, a much better age now than when I was in my twenties. You know, I think a lot of information was held back. Uh, back then now we get that information a lot of it i'd love if we got our times right but anyway it's a whole different argument but um we get a lot of information now that we can take on board and then filter whatever we need um you know and you know if, if you're not really concerned about bar plates and so on fine but be told you know get that information out to punters so they can make an informed decision and then they feel more engaged anyway um and it gives them a better chance of winning and if they feel like they're uh, part of the sport and not being uh, treated as second-class citizens, they'll stay involved, I think. All right, a few good questions uh, on our Twitter and Facebook. Captain Kickass Arskader, how long should one spend on form per race? Well, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Because it depends on the race. I mean, uh, uh, certainly a race like the Melbourne Cup, you could, you could spend a month on it. Um, your head would be spinning. You'd still find 10 or 12 winning hopes, I think no matter how long you, you took. So um, what I sort of do is um, get to trust my first instincts a lot of the time. Uh, like I know, for example, last year, so the golden slipper last year. So uh, I landed on stay inside um, to beat Profiteer. Then they called the races off and they push it back a week. Um, the track was on the improve as it had to be from heavy 500. Uh, and I, I flipped to profiteer over stay inside. And I just thought, you're still not learning, David. What's happening? <laughs> um, trust your first instinct, I think, is really uh, an important one. But you can do that more so if the foundation work's done. Yeah. Yeah. No, Hayden told me off last week because I think I've started the season well. But I think last week I spent too much time on the form and probably overthought it and started looking for roughies when I probably yeah. shouldn't have. Yeah. Um, Captain Kickass also asks... Um, how do you structure your um, staking and bankroll with your bet types or are there any parlay formulas that you regularly use? Yeah, things have changed a bit for me um, just because of the, it's, it's an odd sort of work day. Not everyone's sitting there working all their, through their Saturday. So it's different for most punters. Um, if I wasn't working on a Saturday, I'd certainly have a set amount I'd use. I'd leave a bit aside for the quaddy and some parlays because they're just good fun. You know, I think it, you know, a, a pro punter might say, oh, don't touch a parlay or don't touch a quaddy. But it's got to be fun, and they're fun things for me. So that's what I do. Um, but certainly, uh, I will play if I'm there socially. I'll play most races, um, but some races will be a really small, just a fun bet, and others will be a, a, a you know a proper bet if I'm really confident. And and I love playing Quinellas in races uh, because if I think I've got it right, um, I think it's a great way to make money. So um, yeah, that's how I play. Yeah, I'd rather a Quinella over a spread bet, I guess. Yeah, look, I've got no issue with with saver bets and 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 staking that way. No issue at all. But my preferred method is I'll back my judgment to get it right. Um, and if I've got it wrong, uh, you know, my so Superstorm beats Elephant, I still can have a good collect, even though I've tipped Elephant to beat Superstorm. Um, uh, so that that was just one recent example. But that's the way I like to to play it. It's worked for me. But um, as I say everyone's a little bit different. I think there's a massive right or wrong. Yep, I reckon if um, I've when you were just explaining that, when you um, explained how you had your set amount for the day and then you set a bit aside, if you said you set a bit a bit aside for dinner, I reckon we would have broken the internet. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, Mac is on the way home still uh, is a common uh, theme, but um, mate, it, it is a lot of fun and and that's what it should be all the time. The I got a memory come up. Sorry, go ahead. I got a memory. I got. A I got a memory come up on the Facebook page today that um, a number of years ago I was sitting at bar eight, uh, not bar eight. I was sitting at uh, number eight at Crown Casino after Sincero had won, and got treated to the night out thanks to Sincero. Yeah, no, they're, they're good memories those face. See, Facebook has its positives. You know, just don't <laughs> read the comments. Is my tip. <laughs> Kurt Eckhart um, on on quaddies. How wide in each leg? Do you have any? Um... Is there one leg that you have to go one out or something like that? 
Oh, you don't have to. But what I do these days is um, I'll generally take three quaddies. So I'll take a main quaddie for a lower percentage um, and just basically put in all the winning hopes, inverted commas. Um, a second quaddie with a top couple of rated runners. So you get a decent percentage of that if it happens to lob. <clears throat> and then a third quaddie, just like 10 bucks, one out. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously if you got... Um, if you get a result, even if it's three or 400, you times it by 10, it's a pretty good result. So they don't come up all that often. I'm not going to lie to you, but uh, you're not spending much. And it's a good way to, um, to if you get it right, to be rewarded, which you should be. Yeah. Uh, Mint Bet asked, what's an example of a bad habit you successfully kicked in your analysis process and your bet execution that improved your results? Oh, link uh, much less alcohol in my life since the the training regime went through the roof um, is is probably the key because it does <laughs> it does hinder what you're doing back in the day. But but it's still good fun. Like I don't think I ever you know got in got in a lot of trouble um, bar footy trips. Um, but um, you know, but uh, I think that I think excessive uh, alcohol by the time you get to race eight and nine. And you, you know, you're betting more than what you probably should uh, or betting on a harness. That, <laughs> I love the harness, but betting on something that you haven't planned for um, is, uh, is counterproductive, obviously. Yes. Yeah, so we haven't got one from a footy trip. We haven't got one from a footy trip. You should, probably shouldn't tell us, but you will, David. Oh, I can give you a good one. Um, yep. I think we had Arctic scent. We're at a Tasmanian footy trip and uh, um, tipped them all Arctic scent in the Caulfield Cup. I can't remember what it paid, but it was a lot. Um, so that was a good one, but there's certainly been some, some footy trips where we're borrowing money by the end, but we've all been there. We're learning from our mistakes. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, so some good and bad memories there. What, a, what about a story from a footy trip? You probably shouldn't tell us. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, um, we've had some, uh, some good stories, uh, footy trips, but, um, I think the Bali one probably takes the cake. Just a, just a tip, if you if we ever get to travel again, it'd probably be in our, our kids' lifetime though, uh, the way things are trending. But um, don't run jet skis into each other. That they, they, really it's counterproductive to having any money left at the end of your trip. That's a fair question. Tim Kennedy, the pumpkin, wants to know if you're targeting uh, the triathlon at Brisbane in 2023, 2032, I should say. The Olympics, yeah, I think they'd need uh, they need the veterans' uh, games by then for me to get anywhere near it, and still there's people faster. But um, yeah, it was great the Tokyo Games, and I can't wait for Brisbane. And um, yeah, if they if they let us, I'll be into the triathlons again this year because it's uh, it's a lot of fun, keeps me relatively sane. Uh, Net Dog seventy three, where is the best source of info for sectionals, and and are you big on the sectionals? Yeah, always have been. Yeah. Um, no, I think we're, we're a bit, uh, look, fortunate and unfortunate at the moment. Uh, obviously, you know, I think it's any secret that, that racing.com going down the, the, the trackers path was a mistake. You know, I think they're, they're, you know, overly accurate in a lot of fronts. You know, if, if a horse is running past another horse and that other horse has a faster last 200, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, logically. Um, but I think they're on the right track now, hopefully. Uh, so if they get their times right and there's a uniform time across you know, a couple of platforms you mentioned earlier, um, you know, getting everyone's times accurate and correct, it'd be a great place to start. Uh, but I think, I don't think that Racing Victoria are too far away from getting those times right. So sit tight. Uh, Lockie Chapman asked for a group one handicap. Do you prefer the best horse on pure form or the best weighted horse dropping back from weight to age, from weight, weight for age to a handicap? I think we sort of answered that. Yeah, each race on its merits, but I think, um, you know, I think uh, that weights um, are, are, are a factor. Uh, and so for that reason, I think Barossa beats Behemoth, all things being equal on Saturday. Um, so that's, that's one example of where I've drawn into the handicap, where if it was a weight for age race, I'd be probably tipping Behemoth or probably or so. Um, it's something I do factor in, yep. Uh, John Pompey, why is the form out of a blanket finish often questioned going forward? And why is three wide no cover not an issue on heavy going? Yeah, so the first part of the question um, is a great one, and it's a common one. I think that it's just uh, it's just cause and effect. So if, if there's a, if there's not much between a lot of athletes over the line, um, there's probably not a lot between them, talent yep. wise. So they're all probably either really good or really average. Um, now it's more common than not that it's the latter. 
Um, yep. You know, it's not a standout. Whereas if a, if a race is spread out, uh, spread eagled the field, um, you generally find that they're superior athletes, especially if it's a fast run race. Um, and I think that's a law you can take to the bank a lot of the time. Uh, three wide, no cover. Uh, look, I don't, I don't love the spot, irrespective of the track. <laughs> um, I think that um, there are worse places to be. But if you go and pick out random 1,000 races from Ballina to Belmont to Caulfield to Kembla, they don't win too often. They don't win too often, sitting three and four wide, no cover. So I think there's a reason why that happens, that they're spending energy facing the breeze that they don't necessarily want to be. Um, you know, if you're, if you're burning five or 10% uh, more energy than you need to be um, in a game of inches, it can have a massive impact on the result. And we see it a lot. Yeah, I think the better example is probably the Memsey, isn't it, Hayden, where Brett Preble pulled out early on Behemoth and just let him roll rather than get stuck in like Tefane did. And, and that's probably more to the point that you, you let your horse roll in that midsection rather than have that slowdown. Yeah, just with the, um, with the comment Dave made before about the blanket finish, um, something that I wasn't aware of, I was subconsciously aware of it, but wasn't aware of it until I got deep into the numerical side of racing, is I found now when there's a blanket finish, tight finish, you know, only a number of lengths separating many, is that I find I can always pick the runner and say, okay, if you're there, you have all gone no good. Yeah. <laughs> um, or if you're there, I, I'm really confident the race is going to rate down and there's going to be a reason for it. If we've gone slow, little sprint home, no one's had any speed. Um, but typically the race will always rate towards the one that you've picked that shouldn't be there as such. Mm. Um, and they'll all run a, a generic figure around it. Yeah. I think sometimes that gives you from a um, from a speed rating perspective a little bit of a different feel than a weight handicapping style, um, you know, with the high 101 style rating rather than just a, a length, a numerical length perspective. So that's some parts where we go completely different ways, but that's the one I found. If you're there, it's all gone no good. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And I think in a, in a truly run race, it's more relevant. Um, so if it's a really fast run race, which should be, in theory, separating the good athletes from the average ones. You know, and again, you can go back and look at the, the Olympics and, and whatever distance you're looking at outside of 100, which is just a dash, right? Uh, where there's endurance involved and you're anaerobic almost, or, and, and for even aerobic for part of the race, uh, then the, the, uh, the better the athlete you are and the more speed you can sustain, that you're more likely to, to be in the finish. So I think that's where it, it can, string, can string them out and stretch them. Um, and we saw a couple of those in Sydney last week, didn't we? With, um, you know, 60, 70 to one pops beaten two lengths. Yeah. So you're a little bit nervous about a few of those races, I think. Yeah, that's when the Cox Plate really sorts a few out because we get speeds we don't really see all year. Yeah, yeah that's it. Uh, Todd Scotland, Sean, uh, he's heard that Gator is a very frugal punter. What percentage of his bankroll does he bet or bet to win on his selections? Yeah, well, these days, uh, as I say, I sort of, um, I'm betting at the start of the day mostly. Um, so I'm taking my parlays and a few win bets and a few all ups and definitely a few of those qualities we referenced and then pretty much concentrating on my job. So it's a, it is a little bit different these days. Um, doesn't stop me betting earlier in the week. Uh, if I see something, like I think Timpson on Saturday went up $17 tab on Wednesday. Um, hasn't won yet, but um, it won't start $17. Um, so I'll certainly have a play at a few of those uh, early on in the week. But come game day, I'm a bit restricted these days, but it's still a lot of fun. On that, if you find a one of big odds on a Wednesday, do you then jump on Betfair on a Friday and lay it off for a result or...? No, look, I've got a bet for account, but I'm I'm not um, uh, haven't engaged uh, with them for the last couple of years um, with with the tab stuff. So yep. uh, yeah, yeah, bit a bit restricted there, but it's fine. Doesn't detract from my enjoyment. Yep. Um, and Jared Keenan, how how have you found the extra workload transitioning from dot com to Sky? Yeah, well, actually, quite enjoying the Adelaide form. It's really the only extra. I was doing Melbourne Sydney anyway, um, and I've been in it for twenty or something years with the website. More than that. Um, so no real, uh, nothing it's, it's probably worse than it looks, you know, cause it's such a quick fire, uh, Saturdays as Hayden referenced. So that late form, I've got plenty of time on a Thursday to dissect that. Um, and I'm actually quite enjoying it. A few of them early, I thought, gee, there's some slow horses here, but, um, there's actually <laughs> some, I'm finding some reasonable depth there and, uh, and having a bit of success. So hopefully that can continue. But, um, to answer the question, it's not overly onerous. 
Yep. All right. Last question from me, Gator. If you're having a week off, you're heading to a Bucks party at the races and you don't want to do the form, you do it every week. Uh, which tips are you following? Oh, this is a great question, isn't it? Um, look, I don't think you, uh, there's, there's so many great judges these days at the moment. So um, I don't think there's, there's too many you can just uh, that, that are in, in that have uh, roles in media that you say are, um, are no good. So uh, look, it's an odd question because I've backed my own judgment for 30 years. So um, yeah, I, I think uh, without uh, putting the, uh, the slows on anyone, um, I think I'll, I'll cover that off by saying, I think there's, you, we're pretty lucky. There's, there's a lot of avenues to resource and a lot of great minds at the moment. Uh, so from this weekend, you're, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Bo Rossa in the Rupert Clark. Rothfire yeah. in the shorts. Yeah, I'm, they're the ones I've tipped. Obviously, assuming I'm Thunderstruck doesn't get a run. Um, it's looking unlikely at the moment. Plus, he's drawn 17. But if he gets a run, I'll back him and, and Bo Rossa okay. and play some Quinellas with regards. Marine, a few roughies there. Um, certainly, Rothfire, I wanna, I wanna, I'm happy to back him at the, at the price. Um, and again, I'll play some Quinellas with uh, Nature Strip and Mask Crusade and hopefully make some money that way. And very elegant in the uh, George May. Yeah, I think she's a strong win bet. Yeah, I think she's, um, especially if she gets that, there's a little bit of jar out of the track, which she'll get. It's not going to yep. be rock hard. Um, look, she's she's been beaten second up in the past. We know she's vulnerable, but there's generally been excuses. And, and when she finds slowly run races is when she's vulnerable. Uh, but being the best athlete, as we touched on earlier, when she gets a truly run race, she, she comes into her own. Aiden? Hypothetical. Mr. Gately, um, McDonald, James McDonald, um, knows it's not grand final day aboard nature strip uh, and he uses his little tactical prowess that he can do when drawn inside of speed runners and he just holds them out to at a position in the track that they're not comfortable but he's not overexerting, allows them to cross and sits hard on their tail mm. um, race changes complexity from a mapper's perspective. yeah you just broke up a bit there mate at the end but uh, i think um i think the key to to james and a lot of the top uh, jockeys is uh, they ride their horse uh, to suit their horse. Um, I think most times out of 10, uh, especially if they've got a grand final coming up, you know, you don't want to take the horse. They tried it, didn't they, a couple of preps ago? They tried, oh, yeah. we'll take a sit on him today. Disastrous. But they learned something. They never went back to it. Um, and that's what great, that's what the greats do. You know, if there's a better stable than Waller at getting their athletes right um, and turning them around mid-prep sometimes, I've never, I haven't seen them. Um, but he, uh, James and Orton, a lot of those top jockeys, they ride their horse to suit the horse um, above and beyond the tactics of the race, I think. Gator, you've been uh, very generous with your time. Appreciate it. Good luck tomorrow. Enjoy work and good luck on the punt. Mate, I won't sleep well tonight on a big race day. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Gator. Uh, you can sign off. Hayden and I are going to do um, have a look at the main races on the weekend and give the punters our views. Sweet. Cheers, mate. All right, Hayden, let's look at the Rupert Clark, Behemoth, Probabil, and uh, Gators tip, Bo Rossa. How have you dissected this race? Um, I'm, you know, we've been doing this long enough to know my boisterous little opinions on things and the way I do things when it comes to handicaps, handicap racing. Um, I feel like sometimes the A grade sneak in with the B grade. Um, and the A grade can hang on a little bit longer sometimes. They can be dominant in that area. So with horses like Probabil and Behemoth, I'm of the opinion that they're the class two runners in the race. Bo Ross is the one who's um, jumped out of the ground of late and said, oh, I can match it with you two. Yep. Um, and then the race falls away to those who think um, that weight's going to make them fast enough to become competitive. So... I look at the race and say, okay, Bo, um, Behemoth and Probabil under handicap um, ratings probably shouldn't be there. Mm. And the race should start from a Bo Rossa down. So these two do sneak in. Um, they've got form. They've got um, the IVR numbers required to not only be ultra competitive, but to be winning a race of this nature. And both runners have performed to their optimum best with the weights that they're going to carry on the weekend. So... I can't fault either one. Looking back on the visuals, I thought Probabil was asked to chase a little bit first up. I know she's not a 1,200-metre horse, but go back to the 1,200-metre run first up last campaign compared to this one. Um, 
I thought she was at her top a little bit longer than what I expected. Is she looking for more ground this campaign or is she a run behind? That'll be the question mark. Um, but she's certainly good enough to win if she's a run behind, but it'll push her to her absolute max. Um, the big boy behemoth, when we spoke to Sam Lyons, I made comment that he was very explosive for 200 metres. Um, there's going to be the vast majority of punters on the weekend who go into the race Looking at Bo Rosser in particular, thinking, you know, you were really held up. David mentioned, be, um, held up at a crucial stage. David's of the opinion that the horse should have won. Um, I thought Brett was very, um, I thought Brett was very soft on Probabil. Um, and that explosive power between the four and the two, I think um, he was of the feeling that he put the race to bed and the horse to his outside might have surprised him a little bit because um, he basically had them covered. Very similar to Damien's ride on um, on the horse down the straight on Saturday that he got beat on the um, Cummings runner when, you know, he pushed the button. Yep. He may have pushed it 50 metres too early, buried his opposition. Um, soft on the horse last hundreds, horse sneaks up on him and beats him. So I think prob um, Behemoth's got his opportunity this time to go to not, not a new level, but to really push his previous PB, which was a Mooney Valley performance from way back that we spoke to Sam about. Um, so I'll be tipping him on top from um, Probabil. But Ross is naturally going to put itself there somewhere. Amish Boy is the horse to me who comes through a very similar um, form line and is progressing very similar to Bo Rosser and he is the forgotten horse in the race. He'll yep. get a different look at the race. Um, he'll get a different race shape and be able to attack those from different lanes on the race. Uh, different lanes on the track. So he's going to be the little X-factor runner. And there's a horse over from Perth that I was taken with first up, Samizdat, um, Smart Stable, don't come here too often. And I think if they put one in the truck, they think it's flying. So that's one I'd put into first fours, trifectas as such. But for me, Behemoth, Probabil, um, those mentioned. Yep. Um, I've got Behemoth on top as well. Pretty much the reasons you said. I just think he's a length ahead of Probabil, um, right now, probably fitness-wise, um, perhaps even trip-wise. And, um, you know, we, we spoke about it on the show. Um, with Sam Lyons, he ran a plus 2.9 and he had that um, he had that drop-off late, which suggests that perhaps there is a bit of fitness to come. So, um, yeah, I'll be on Behemoth and agree with you on Amish Boy. You've, um, we mentioned him as well in the review when he ran behind Mask Crusader, you want to be chucking Amish boy in your quaddy. Let's have a look at uh, Randwick. Um, we'll start with the George Main because that comes first on the card. Very elegant and odds on pop. I, I felt, found this a pretty tricky race. Yeah. Um, I mentioned to you before the show, the two races in Sydney I'm very, very excited about. Mm. Um, you know, real races that really shape the spring. The sprint from a, not only from the race on the weekend, which is good, is as good a sprint race as we could possibly ask for. Um, and then we've got the Group One Mile, uh, the Group One Mile here, which is equally equally as impressive and races that will shape the carnival. Um, both races, I'm not overly interested in betting into, uh, but I am extremely interested to watch um, from a numbers perspective class perspective, et cetera, et cetera. Very elegant, looks like she can run to her top. She's got a historical mile figure second up from a few campaigns back that would be winning here. Um, What's that figure? She has a historical figure there over a mile. Um, apologies, 29th of the second, 2020. So back from Feb of last year, um, when she was beaten by Taaki or Shark, um, fierce impact run third, Avilius, happy clapper, life, Lex ordinary, etc. That was a second up run. Um, if she goes anywhere near that level, it's game, set, match. See you later. Um, yep. Nothing could possibly beat her in this race if she goes to that level. Um, Dollar ninety-two, not for me. Yep. Um, I've got a, I've got a level of expectation that she can beat these. Um, Colding's an interesting runner, been back to the trials of the jump outs where he was good. He's blown the steam out. He'll be dangerous here. Hungry Heart progressing well this campaign, looking for a better performance from her. I expect her to be able to match very elegant at a mile um, on dry ground. 
So that's the level I think she is at and can um, should be racing at. That's how good I think she is. So I've got a level of expectation that she comes to play. Um, Riadini, the silicon in the feet is not of interest to me. Um, yeah. I thought this horse would go through the roof. The run previous was excellent. Yeah. Um, explosive through the midsection. But he's a little bit too patient between the four and the two, um, which ultimately decided the race. The start of the seas, I think he's one run away from going to his big number that he produces um, each campaign. But, you know, he can be dangerous in a race like this. So for me, it's very elegant, just hungry, heart, colding, star of the seas. Yeah, um, for me, I thought Star of the Seas is ready ready to peak. Um, nice run behind Zaki. Uh, I think it was one and a half above benchmark. Obviously, Zaki was a standout performance. And look, he usually needs um, the pace on. Gator spoke about it. We will see some uh, early pace in the race with uh, Shout Bar and Riadini. Um, so wanting to stay out a very elegant at a $1.90, I'll probably play... Um, a small each way um, entertaining bet on Star of the Seas. Uh, the Shorts is another cracking race. Obviously, these horses are heading to the Everest. It really has been described as the mini Everest. Nature Strip 240, Mask Crusader 480, Rothfire 550. That's Gator's pick. Eduardo 850, Lost and Running 850, Gitra 9. And then you've got 151 for Adalong and 200 to 1 for Handle the Truth. How good is this race? Cracker, mate. You would love to interview all trainers prior um, and get an understanding of who's going to rip the Band-Aid off um, and who is just going to come out here for a nice hard trial leading into a race like an Everest. So, you know, if you want to talk about talent, class, speed, et cetera, et cetera, um, if they think about nature strip, if they think about giving nature strip his own time in front, it's game over. Um, we've got the little X factor there in Lost and Running, and we've got the other X factor there in Mask Crusader. Um, from a tipping point of view, the horse I'd want to be on is nature strip, um, but my excitement levels surrounding Mask Crusader racing against this group are. Um, you know, my excitement level's right there. He's the one I'm going to keep a really close eye on. Um, and I would go to the level to save Mask Crusader. Mask Crusader beats this lot over 1,100. Um, might be game over Everest. Yep. That's my thoughts. So you're not betting? No. No, not... Um, when it comes to, from a betting perspective, I think Nature Strip is the most likely top three finisher in the race. Yep. Um, Rothfire, there's a lot of unknown about Rothfire. Um, Mask Crusader, he's got to get the right race shape in order to get into it. And then you've got some unknowns with G-Char and Errado. So there's probably five realistic, um, you know, five if not six realistic top three chances. Yeah. You can pretty much dismiss the other two. Yeah. Okay. Well, my my thinking was Nature Strips had the run. Um, he's got fitness on side, so we're gonna we're gonna see a pretty strong figure in my mind. Um, that makes me put a line through Rothfire. I've got a question mark on his fitness. Um, Gtra first up. He ran a big first up figure this time last year, but um, uh, I just want to wait and see with him. Lost and running. I'm not sure. Uh, or I want to see that um, Lost and Running's at this level as well, which leaves me with Nature Strip, Mask Crusader and Eduardo. And I'm sort of of the opinion of Gator that 1,100 might be 50 metres too short for Mask Crusader. So with Eduardo and Nature Strip, um, obviously Nature Strip's the obvious with the run under the belt and outstanding return. Uh, but as someone who loves to bet with these promos, money back second, third, fourth and fifth, uh, I'll probably have something on Eduardo at 850 and um, happy for the little insurance for uh, for money back. I think Eduardo's finishing top five in this race. All right, mate. Um, they're the main races covered off. Anything else jump out across the two cards? Caulfield's an interesting day. Um, I know there's a lot of interest in Caulfield 
and from the punters at home, they'll be sitting back saying, you know, who do I bet on, how, why, and where? Um, yeah. Race one, Caulfield, Halab comes from Tasmania, brings the right form, has the right profile. Uh, I've got a level of expectation there that there'll be a first three finish on the cards for that runner. Um, the Gouch is some a horse that a lot of people go looking for. Um, he does have a ceiling at this stage. The ceiling isn't good enough to be dominant, uh, but it can be deep in the finish. The race falls apart very quickly. Um, race two is a ripper. If you go back, um, you know, the best part of nine months, you really want to be with a theory. Um, didn't come up, you know, all both performances in Queensland were below par for a horse of that talent. Um, you know, if that horse is anywhere near its best, it'll be mighty dangerous in a race like that. Um, pandemic looks the logical um, danger and the horse to beat in that one. Good race, good little sprint race, that one. Um, race three is the lead up to the Thousand Guineas. You know I've been um, pretty nasty, if anything, towards the Phillies this spring. Uh -huh. uh, they're just showing nothing. Um, from, and that's not from a visual perspective, because from a visual perspective, they're all going to look good. Um, you've got the likes of Zuzarella, et cetera, the um, Jamea or whatever the horse's name is in Sydney. Yeah. So you've got a level of expectation from a visual that they're, um, you know, they're right there in terms of Thousand Guineas prowesses. But um, Heresi looks to have this at her mercy. Um, not a horse that I could dive in from a betting perspective, but looks like the logical horse to win a prelude and go into a guineas, you know, as a top three commodity betting-wise. The horse who looks like it's really going to leap, I can't really say its name properly, but looks like Maroika, Maroika. Yep. The, the Waller runner, it's the one who looks like it could easily leap to the level required to be winning. Uh, and a little watch on the one down the bottom from the Price Kent stable, which was Daisy's. But, um, you know, I expect Terrace to be winning, but we might not have seen the Thousand Guineas winner. You know, it might bob up right now. So keep your eye on the bush if there's a three-year-old filly anywhere. All very difficult race, very even um, Crop this. I was taken with Brigant, Brigantine's performance in Sydney. It's progressing well this campaign. It's the one who looks like it can break IVR benchmark, um, which will be good enough here to be winning. Altheric has been good this campaign. Military Express is another who is progressive. These will be dangerous runners leading into a race like the Guineas. Um, but, you know, they're typically a B crop from a performance perspective. And the one down the bottom is definitely the watch runner river plate. It could easily go past those. Um, race five, again, this is just not interest at all. Um, I've got a circle around Ireland edition who's got the potential to go places. Um, you know, I'd have question marks on the remainder. The little unknown surrounds ran via, but it's not, you know, they're not horses blessed with talent at this stage. There was always the opportunity that they could bounce um, and go to the next level, but they haven't done so and they don't look like doing so right at this very minute. Race yep. six, Ana Visto went to PB level, excellent run behind um, Turath, who would belt these if it was in this race. The form's real. Um, it was Frank last campaign. Turath was an excellent winner at Flemington. You know, it, it goes to that level again here at wins. Um, ecumenical, always a dangerous runner, loves and actually um, races quite well at Caulfield. Rail six, race pattern will suit a horse like ecumenical. Um, will Price just got to be confident, patient, and come with one run? It could be, you know, in the first three or four in a race like this. Um, 50 to one star rail is the horse you want to put in your um, multiples for sure. Mount, mounting yard horse of the day, that horse is anywhere near right. It could easily finish first four in a race like this. Um, race seven, you know, this is pretty boring sort of stuff, this, for a group race. Um, the 2,000-metre race, number of runners, there's sort of jammed. We all know their ceilings, and luck in running will play a vital role. Angel of Truth, I thought she was visually disappointing last start at Caulfield behind no effort, but a masterful tactical front-running ride from Bo Mertens was the reason that basically it was a Formula One race. They started where they finished, um, Nothing made ground. The level of exertion down the straight 
in order to make ground they just weren't capable of. Um, you know, you've got a horse like Angel of Truth who's uh, gone out first section, negative 9.2. There was she had a 7.9 length squeeze through the midway. So an eight-length exertion through the mid took her to benchmark six to the four. Um, the three-length acceleration four to the two, and she sustained that home combined 400 metres plus 6.3 late. She can't go faster than that. Mm. Um, that's the fastest she's ever gone. She just simply can't, you know, she was sprinting and she was sprinting at her top. She can't run past those. So Mission Impossible, she can bounce off that. Excellent um, building run. And she looks like she'll bounce off the first up run. So she was benchmark performance first up. Um, she was stronger late than the first up run. Albeit she had a bludge through the mid-race, that's what's caused that um, first out, first home style race shape. But she can easily now find the length and a half required, and she did it at Flemington last campaign over 2,000 metres. Then she backed it up in Sydney. So once she gets to the 2,000, she's dangerous. She's the horse to beat from mine. Um, from Ahmad, who's a very smart little um, international who's been here for the two starts. His first start, even though he was defeated, was the better of the two, and he showed that he had a good level of ability. He's a horse you want to keep a close eye on what he can do this spring. Traley Rose was excellent first up. She can bounce off that. Similar race shape to the other one. The yep. other one can go to the higher level when they're battle-hardened. She's no ceiling at this stage of her little life. Uh, Knight's Order is the one who can create a few problems. Another horse, close mounting yard. If money comes or the mounting yard analyst tick her off, him off, I should say, keep a close eye on. Race nine, Geist from the Blue Jackets, dangerous horse. Bonham, group one winner, and a winner from New Zealand, smart goal and stable, made a ton of gear changes. So not 100% sure what they're doing there. Um, definitely a horse you want to watch. Night Raid, good order. Chassis ran a PB last start behind Probabil. Um, you know, if she goes to that level again, she'll be competitive. Good race, good day, um, and good luck. All right. And we've posted on Facebook about our little charity bet. Uh, so you've got a couple of options to pick from. What we're doing is we're allowing the next geners out there to post their best bet and Hayden will pick one and take them on with a horse at longer odds and the loser will donate 50 to a charity of their choice. So we've got Jesse Way, race seven nonconformist. He's happy to um, throw out there as his best bet. Matt Salik, uh, Caulfield race four, lightsaber. Um, that's in the... Uh, Guinea's Prelude race and Joey Joey Randwick race eight, number three, G Char in the short. So, which one of those three seems like a, a juicy bet for you? Um, well, G Char, I'm not going to have much else left in the race. He's going to send me in the direction of the 200 to one. Like, that's a really yeah. strategic, smart play. Yeah, um, that, that was smart. Yeah, that's like, um, and, you know, when you're dealing with someone who spends 80 to 90 hours a week in analytics. Uh... <laughs> that, was, that was a smart bet. So you've got nonconformist who's the favourite in race seven. And I don't think you even mentioned nonconformist in your, your winning chances. Or race four, uh, lightsaber is the second favourite at 650. Um, the same odds as uh, brigantine. So I'm declaring that you can't pick brigantine. Well, what about if I wait and if Brigantine drifts 50 cents, then I can take Brigantine. Brigantine would be the one I would want to take on with Lightsaber. Yeah. Um, that's a race where predominantly the horses that I was looking to get involved with um, were all around that mark. I'm more than happy to take on Lightsaber. Um but Brigantine's definitely the one that I wanted to do that with. Um, okay. And I'm happy to take on – look, I didn't put nonconformist in my numbers, um, but he doesn't get a better opportunity. This is like – this is it. You either come to play or you stay at home in the stalls. You've you got an equestrian career ahead of you. This is it for him. He does not get a better setup than um, than what he's going to get 
on Saturday. So I have been boisterous against non-conformist because he's that run on two length behind everyone else pretender and he sucks everyone else in all the time. We'll take him on with Angel of Truth. $50 to charity. My charity will be JDRF. That will be my charity through the entire spring. Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation for kids with type 1 diabetes. They, that will be my charity. And I'll put it out there to the other gentleman who put up Lightsaber. If he would like to get involved, I'll take Brigantine if he wants to go head to head. Um, and if I get beat, I'll make it 75 bucks from my end. All right, so it's on Angel of Truth versus Nonconformist against uh, Jesse Way. And uh, you might even ask if Matt Salik's keen to go lightsaber versus Brigatine as well. Mate, uh, we've run over time, but I thought that was a great show. Um, hope you're enjoying your first week of uh, fatherhood uh, number three, I should say. And um, I'll uh, chat to you tomorrow while the races are on, and I'm sure we'll chat on Monday with another guest. Excellent, mate. David Gately, um, as always, true gentleman. And it was a pleasure to discuss racing with him. Hopefully, the only, the only question I've got for you is today, did you have your lunch um, inside or did you go out and sit in the middle of the road and have your lunch? I had my lunch uh, five minutes before we came on air. Why, why is that? Because oh, the boys um, have lost the smoko sheds in town today, so they've decided to go and have them in the middle of Collins Street. Well, that sounds a bit bit stupid, I reckon. Anyway, good punting tomorrow, mate. Enjoy, buddy. See ya.